and you can always change the trajectory of your relationship with intention and work. So he says that happy couples are not so different from unhappy couples. They don't not fight, they have conflict. They just repair often and quickly and they approach things from a place of love and respect. So it's not about being perfect. I'm Amy and I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today's guest is Shana, and she's a wife, she's a mom, she's a therapist, and she is behind the account Love After Baby. And what we love about Shana is that she's a licensed mental health counselor, but she created Love After Baby to really share her story and also share the evidence-based therapeutic strategies that have helped to support so many people individually, but then more importantly, as partners. So a lot of this interview really revolves around how can we help partners stay connected for the long haul, even though they have children. We know that with children come more challenges. Yes, more love, but also a lot of things that can be really tough. So in this interview, she's going to give really tangible tips that you can start doing today, but that you can also start doing preventatively to stay connected for the long haul. So let's get into this interview with Shana. Shana, we would love it if you shared why helping couples after they have kids is so important to you. And just to add on to that, why did you decide to focus your content around this particular partnership situation? Yeah, so I love this question because it's something I'm really passionate about. And it started, I'd say, in 2019. I started out with my private clients. We're all going through quarter-life crises. And then at that point, I was a young mom. And I was seeing more mom clients and I started seeing this pattern where a mom came in whose kids were leaving the college. And one of the things going on in her life was that her relationship with her husband was no longer existent. And she was almost like scared once the kids go to college and living with a stranger because their life has been about the kids for close to 20 years. And then on the flip side, I had a new mom who was like, we've never had issues. We've gotten along so well. And there's so many things that are coming up in our relationship now. And then let's say a mom of a one-year-old and two-year-old. And I was hearing all these common threads and it just clicked for me in my head that here's these moms who are at the beginning of this path. And here's this mom who's where it ends up 20 years later, if you haven't addressed it. So somebody needs to be addressing more that in-between period to help make sure this doesn't happen. And part of why I'm passionate about this specific stage of relationships is because it really has a macro effect on the people because you're not just affecting your own relationship, you're affecting your child, your relationship with your child, your child's relationship with you, their perception of what relationships look like. So you're going to affect the relationship that they choose later on for themselves, plus the way that they parent their children. So it really has an effect on generations to come. And there's so much influence and impact that it can have. So that's part of what I'm really excited about this specific period in relationships for people. It's really interesting you say that because Abby and I believe like our partnership is at the core of our life and we get some pushback for that because I think we're living in a society that's very, very child centric. Yeah, a hundred percent. 
And in your role, you're able to see just that range of people just starting off and seeing those first couple of steps that they're taking. And as we all know, if you start going in the wrong direction from the beginning and keep going in that direction, that's where you have that person who is staring at their partner 20 years later, looking at that stranger. And we all know, and we, yeah, and we get it. Like we experience this ourselves that relationships do change after having kids. We, we aren't saying that they don't. And we know that since you work with couples of all ages, all types of relationships, when you ask them this question of how has your relationship changed after kids or which parts of it have changed, what answers are you hearing most often? So a big one that comes up is resentment because I'm sure you're all familiar with the mother load or default parent, all of that. And very often just societally moms end up being the ones to do more. And research has found that this is even when both parents work. And even if the mom is the primary breadwinner, and I actually had a client like that where she was the primary breadwinner in her home and her partner was the one who let's say took their kid to daycare and made their kid lunch or whatever, but she had to be the one on top of making sure the diapers were stocked up, making sure that if their kid moved on to the next size, that clothing was ordered and the old clothing were put away. And that was really hard and frustrating that she was the one who was doing the, the supporting the family. And he was the supposed to be the primary parent, but she was the one doing all that background stuff still. So There's that resentment piece, which is a big one. There's intimacy, which has changed a lot, partially because of time, energy, and also because a lot of women struggle with being touched out when they have kids, since they're constantly getting stimulation from their kids touching them, their kids asking them for things, feeling needed, et cetera, and also just not feeling comfortable with their bodies or feeling like they can't recognize themselves since they look and feel so different after becoming moms and communication and friendship, having fun with each other, spontaneity is a big one that shifts. If there's, I'm thinking time, I think I said already, time is a big one that just things just are not as flexible and spontaneous as before. Yeah. And those are the things that we hear echoed in our community. So that all makes perfect sense to us. One thing I wanted to ask you, because our podcast, the thing we do is we kind of go behind the scenes. And so I think when someone's in your position, you're a therapist, we're thinking, oh, you know, I'm sure you guys are nailing your partnership. This is what you teach. This is your expertise. But I'm wondering when you and your partner became parents, what changed in your own relationship? Oh, a lot. And it's funny because a lot of times with my clients, I'll straight up tell them about a mistake that I made in my relationship because I want them to hear that we all make mistakes. And the Gottmans constantly say, the Gottman Institute, if you heard of them, John Gottman has done a lot of research in relationships. He can predict with over 90% accuracy whether a couple will stay together and whether they will be happy or unhappy. But he makes sure to say that his prediction is if they don't make changes. And you can always change the trajectory of your relationship with intention and work. So he says that happy couples are not so different from unhappy couples. They don't not fight. They have conflict. They just repair often and quickly. And they approach things from a place of love and respect. So it's not about being perfect. And you can always repair. You can always work on things. So in my relationship, I remember thinking that, you know, having this therapy background, getting married, 
that I was never going to have any of the fights that I saw all these other people having. And I was never going to have any of these like arguments and I knew what to do, but life and theory are not always a hundred percent the same. You know, we can't control life stressors. We, you know, we don't live in a vacuum. We have, we lose sleep. We're not eating properly. We're not hydrated. Um, We had a bad day. So naturally these things are going to affect how we interact and the way that we come home. And so that was a learning curve even before we became parents and to like something that did benefit me being in a relationship and therapy space is that I knew how to repair quicker. And I knew which things that I wanted to kind of knock out of the way right away and not make them habits in a relationship and which habits I wanted to have. But still when our kid came, I think the first time I gave my husband the look of death was when we were living in a pre-war building in New York and I had just got our daughter to sleep and he walks into the room right on the piece of wood that creaks the loudest and she didn't wake up, but I thought she would. And so I gave him this look of death, like, oh my God, you almost woke her up. So there's like those little frustrations that you can't understand them until you've been in that position. Like it sounds so silly. And even after the fact for myself, I felt so silly that that was such a big deal. But in that moment, when you're exhausted and you just want to get your kid down and you finally got them to sleep and then somebody risked waking them up, they didn't even wake them up, but they almost woke them up and they weren't like careful not to, that feels so frustrating. And so as little things like that, uh, maternal gatekeeping was another one for me. And a big part of it for me was with bath time where I would like to do bath time quickly, get it out of the way, keep it neat. And my husband would make bath time really fun and take out all the toys and it was long and all of that. And I would say, just do it quicker. Like, don't take out all the toys. And he then started to feel like he's not good at doing bath time. And so that ended up, I was fighting myself because anytime we had an event to go to and we needed to get her to bed quickly, I would say, can you give her back quickly? He's like, no, you're better at it than you know how to do it quickly. I don't know how to do it quickly. And I had was forced to break out of that pattern by default because when I was pregnant with my second, it was hard for me to bend over and do the bath time. And so I needed to have him do it. And because I knew I needed it, I just walked away. Like I didn't get involved. I didn't interfere because I'm like, I need him to do this. There's no point in me giving him his this feedback and constructive criticism. I need to just let him be. And he, he himself on his own started doing it quicker. And then I realized in retrospect that I got to spend a lot more time with her. And so for him, bath time was his time when he came home from work that he could connect with her. And so that's why he made it a long, fun experience. And because he didn't do it every night, when it became something he did every single night, sometimes he spent a little longer, sometimes he did it quicker. And he figured that out on his own, but only because I was forced to kind of just let it go and let it be. And that was really helpful. And it also gave me perspective into other things. And speaking of constructive criticism, the Gottmans say there is no such thing as constructive criticism because, and I just did this, I'm now officially a certified bringing baby home educator, which is the Gottmans workshop program that they developed for teaching new parents how to navigate this stage of life. So in the workshop, we were discussing this, the trainer shared the way that she likes to phrase it is constructive criticism never feels constructive to the person receiving it. It just feels like criticism. I'd like pause there for a second because that is, I mean, 
yeah, I can see that. I can, I can feel that when you're getting that type of feedback. And we love the Gottmans, like John and Julie Gottman. We bring them up on the podcast a lot. We love their content. So the fact that you're able to have that certification, like that brings even more gold to this interview. And thank you for bringing up all those, those different situations, because I think as listeners, I mean, even myself, I'm like, I have definitely given that death stare with the creaking wood or like, just hurry up here. Like, come on, just hurry up this bath time. But when you're able to take that step away, literally and metaphorically, you're able to take a look and just see, okay, he can do this. He or she can do this. My partner can do this. And this is their time to spend with baby. Like I get this other time in all these other ways so that I don't have to be spending hours and hours or it seems like hours and hours, right? When you're trying to get a kid to bed. So just the perspective shifting that can happen with all that. Yeah. And when you're in the thick of it, you don't think about it that way. Like you have to take a step back to have that perspective. So, you know, sometimes we're lucky that it happens to us by necessity but that's why it's good to take a pause and to hear these kind of podcasts and see this content because then it makes you realize, oh, I never thought of it that way. And also with all of this, if you're going the wrong direction, you can always make a change and come back to the right path. So this is why we're having this interview with you right now is that if you are kind of steering in the wrong direction, let's have this interview, let's have this conversation and let's make some changes in our relationships that we can bring everything right back. 100%. And like, you know, with your GPS, back in the day before we had Waze, when you had those really formal GPSs, it would say recalculating, recalculating. (laughs) So, you know, no matter which direction your relationship is in, almost always things can be repaired. Times when, you know, seeking outside help and maybe taking a break is when there's abuse. So my content is always, it does not apply to a couple where there is abuse being experienced you know, people will comment, what if the, you know, my husband's abusive, or what if my partner's abusive, then this doesn't apply to you, go get help, there are plenty of resources. And also, there are times when couples work and therapy is contraindicated, meaning it's not going to benefit you. Like when there is severe mental illness, that's not being dealt with. And when there's an ongoing affair. So if there's an affair that is current and keeping on going, and it's something that you're struggling with and you don't have an open relationship, going to a million therapy sessions is not going to help things suddenly feel magically better. So there are certain situations, obviously, where you might need more intensive intervention. But this is for, you know, most of the couples who, and studies show it's 67%. And in some cases, even the 33% who are not feeling super dissatisfied still have these little hiccups along the way that they'd like to navigate better. So this is learning those tools to help you navigate this stressful transition in your relationship and period of life in the best way possible. Let's take a quick break from our podcast sponsor, Third Love Bras. If you're looking for an everyday bra, maybe something with more coverage, an unlined style, maybe something with a little extra lift or all of the above, just know that Third Love has some of the best selling bras. Every single one of them are designed to fit and support your body, and they even have half cup sizes, which if you're between cup sizes like I am, this is so awesome to have. There's a style for every solution, there's a style for every outlet, and these are going to make you look and feel great in whatever you're wearing. What I've loved most about my new bra, which is the Form 360 Fit, is that it's wireless, but it still holds in all the right places. The no-slip straps, I mean, if you have straps that slip, you know how uncomfortable it can be, and these ones stay right in place all day long. They also look great under any clothes that I'm wearing. 
Also know that Third Love makes it easy to find your perfect bra size with their virtual fitting room. It's almost like a personal shopper, but it's better because this looks at your size, your breast shape, your fit issues, and your taste to find the bra size and styles that are perfect for you. It's actually helped over 20 million women find their perfect bra size and you could be next. So never get stuck in a bad bra again and just know that returns and exchanges are free for 60 days. If you go to thirdlove.com slash herself, you do get 20% off your first order. Again, that's thirdlove.com slash herself for 20% off your first order. Now back to our show. So let's talk about the people who are in healthy relationships that do have small changes that they know that they need to make. I know you're a huge proponent of this weekly check-in. So let's just talk about this piece of it. What topics should we have in this weekly check-in? Is this helpful? Like talk about the different things we can bring up with the weekly check-in. Yeah. So there is three main parts that I like to bring up in this check-in. And one of them is to acknowledge something that has been going better in the relationship or something you've noticed your partner do, because you want them to see, I'm not only here to tell you changes I need to see. I'm not only here to tell you things I'm not so happy about. I also do notice that you are working at this, that you are improving, that you love me, I love you, et cetera. So you want to acknowledge something that is going well, something positive you noticed. Then this is the time to bring up changes you'd like to see. And not in necessarily the constructive criticism way, more like in expressing a need. So you, the best way to do this is with a softened startup, which I've spoken a lot about on my page. And that's where you don't blame them. Don't make it about them. Use I statements with your feelings because situations can, um, are objective. They're, they're whatever your perspective is or point of view is not necessarily the same as your partner's point of view. So when you say you did this, they're like, no, I didn't. I was doing this. So we're not making it about what they did. We're making it about how we felt because our feelings are our own. And even if their perspective of the event was different, your feeling is still your feeling. So you can say how I feel frustrated or I feel sad or I feel um, ignored. I feel whatever the feeling is when this thing happens and then state what you actually need. So A lot of times we tell people what we don't like or what we don't want to see, but we don't tell them what we actually need. And that's really frustrating in any area of life. I remember in one of my jobs that I had while I was in college, I was doing a graphic design project and I kept showing it to my manager and we said, no, that's not it. And so I redesigned it and they're like, no, that's not it. And then I redesigned it again. No, that's not it. So can you tell me what you want to see different? What don't you like about these designs? What do you want to see? And are like, I don't know exactly what I want. I'll know it when I see it, but I just know this isn't it. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? We ended up outsourcing to an actual graphic design company because they were able to come up with a bunch of different mock-ups in a way that wasn't my field of expertise. Where if I knew the person wanted this, this, and this, I can do that. But that wasn't my, my creative. So with relationships, when we want to see a change, it helps to be specific. So for example, if a partner is frustrated that their partner is coming home late from work every day and they don't get to spend time as a family or have dinner, they can say, you know, it feels really um, lonely when we don't get to eat dinner as a family. So again, that's not saying when you don't come home from dinner, we're making the situation, uh, you know, a neutral thing when we don't get to eat dinner as a family do you think you can come home earlier a few times a week so that we can have family dinner together? 
and I'm telling them exactly what I want from them. And in that case, their partner might say, you know, right now we're in a really busy season with this project, but I'll try to come home early one day a week, or let's make Sunday nights a special outing, or in another month, this will be over. And then I will be home for dinner at least three, four times a week. So you might not get exactly what you're asking for, but you're giving them a clear picture of what you want so that they can meet you somewhere and you can know that each of you cares about this thing. So again, that's giving them something they're doing well that you notice, expressing a need of something you want to be different. And I'd say limit it to one specific thing you want. You don't want to give them a laundry list of items you want to see changed. If you have something else in mind, save it for next week. And the beauty about this check-in period is that it's expected that you're going to be giving something that they need to work on. So if when we come into a performance review at work, let's say, and we know we're going to be told things that we can be doing better, we're fine with it because we're expecting to get it at that point. Whereas if we're just like sitting at our desk, drinking our coffee or just walking to the kitchen and your manager walks up to you and says, Hey, you need to really be doing better with this, this, and this you're caught off guard. And it just feels like criticism and you feel like they don't notice the good things you're doing because they only said this thing that needs to be worked on. So that's, what's helpful about having this setting where it's expected. So it's received in a much better way. So then after you share the thing that's going well and something that you need, Talk about any big things on your calendar that they should know about. So, you know, there's a big doctor's appointment this week, or I have a workshop this, um, you know, whatever night. So I'm not going to be able to do dinner and I need you to be really on top of that. So giving them a heads up in advance of any big things coming up this week so that you can both be on the same page. Mm, I can see how that is so helpful. My partner Drew and I have used that weekly check-in and especially when we were having like harder moments in our relationship, we made it pretty formal. Like we both sat down at the kitchen table, gave each other space to talk. Now it's a little more informal, but still really, really useful. But I have to tell you, I want to stay on communication for one more question because the number of times that communication issues came in as the issue that people are dealing with was a lot. And I can say I totally understand it because sometimes my partner and I feel like we can't get a word in edgewise when our kids are around. And then by the end of the day, we're both drained and that's our only time to really communicate. So I am wondering what suggestions do you have for us? What tools do you recommend for those couples that are really struggling with communication? Yeah. So back to the softened startup, that's a great thing to use when you're feeling frustrated about something. Obviously, avoiding what the Gottmans call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So that is criticism, which is makes somebody feel blamed, defensiveness, which makes it seem like you're not taking ownership or accountability of something that maybe you did, uh, contempt, which is feeling that superiority over the person or like rolling your eyes, a lack of respect, and stonewalling, which is giving kind of a silent treatment or just shutting a conversation down. So on that note, that doesn't mean you always have to finish a fight right now. Sometimes right now is not the best time because if you're heated, your body is physiologically flooded, meaning your mind and your physical body are both completely out of whack. And the part in your brain that processes things calmly and logically is offline. You're in like the fight mode of your brain right now. So what you do then is it's good to take 20 minutes to calm yourself and self-soothe. 
So you don't want to spend that 20 minutes seething and ruminating about all the ways that your partner is wrong in this conversation. You want to do something that's a little bit relaxing for you. So whether that's watching a clip on YouTube, scrolling through Instagram for a bit, unless that's triggering and like you're seeing couples who, oh my God, he took her here, he bought her this and my partner didn't do that. So what you have to be aware of what can be triggering for you and do something that's a little relaxing, at least 20 minutes, even if that's taking a walk around the block. If your partner, if your relationship is a type that like you walking out of the house might feel like abandonment, that's not a good idea. Whereas if it's not going to feel that way, then that could be really great for you if that's what helps you calm down. So again, with any suggestion, you have to know yourselves and what way it would work best for you. So taking 20 minutes allows your body to relax and calm down, like your blood pressure gets lowered, your heart rate gets lowered, your brain's not as much in fight mode, and then you can come back and revisit the conversation in a calm way. If now is not a good time, then you could say, you know, right now we're really heated. I don't want us to say things that we're going to regret and don't mean. So let's revisit this another time, but come up with a plan of when to discuss that, whether that's on the weekend when you have time and are rested and calm, or whether it's the next day after the kids are off and before you need to leave to work, figuring out your schedule when you can bring it up. Because if you don't finish that conversation, it will pop up again at an inconvenient time. And now the topic is far more charged than it was before, because the next time you're coming into it, you have this unresolved fight about it. And so until you resolve it, any unresolved fight you have about that topic is adding to the pressure of that topic and making it more loaded. Then something that is really helpful for parents and that the Gottman suggests for any couple that is really helpful for connecting at the end of the day is having a stress reducing conversation. And it could be 10 minutes, it could be 20 minutes. I know we're really busy as parents, but we can all give 10 minutes most days. And that's just to hear about how our day was. It's not to discuss any relationship stressors. It's not about what's going on in a relationship with each other. It's anything from the day, whether life, the kids, work, whatever, something that stressed us out that day. And just to feel heard, we're not looking to problem solve right now. We're not looking for our partner or for us to tell our partner, our partner to tell us this is how to approach it. This is what you should do about the problem. That's not the goal here. The goal is just to feel heard and feel validated. Like, oh, wow, that sounds like it must have been really frustrating. Um, you know, I am really sorry that happened. Like we talk about being stuck in traffic or, you know, missing a deadline at work or coming really close to deadline and feeling really like tense about it. And it kind of made your whole day super chaotic or the kids were totally out of whack after school because they had a birthday party where they ate tons of candy or something. And like, you know, whatever it is, but just taking that 10 minutes to kind of connect and feel heard just makes you feel seen by each other. So even though it's something small, it's just a nice way to, to, get in the habit of connecting and seeing each other and knowing how each other is doing that day. And what I love about all those solutions, whether it's the 20 minute reset or the 10 to 20 minute conversation is that those are pieces we can all pull into most days of our life. Like if we have 10 yeah. minutes, if we have 20 minutes, that's well worth the time instead of seething on it and, you know, trying to get into the conversation right away. Because I know I am a person who likes to get that conversation done, have that conversation, kind of be at a boiling point and all of a sudden start to talk. And a lot of those things that I say aren't good when I'm in the moment. So taking the 20 minutes yeah. to reset, that's a really, really good solution there. Yeah. And that's a big misconception that people have that like, 
you know, relationships are built on these massive moments or these big things. And people are like, hey, but that's too much for parents. But it's really about all these little things that we can all fit in. I know it sounds overwhelming when you hear them listed all at once, but when you start integrating them one at a time into your life and make them a habit, it just creates a more beautiful home and relationship and setting for your children to grow up in and for you guys as well. Yeah, the baby steps, right? Implementing the small things over and over again can lead to really big change. And you had mentioned triggers in that last response. And we absolutely love on your page how you post about the dear husband or the dear partner posts. And for those of you who don't know them, it's where women in the audience, they share things that they wish their partner knew. Um, they can get really emotional. Like those, some of the comments that are coming in can be just full of emotion. And I know that so much of our audience, it resonates with. So I just, I just want to read a few. I mean, one of them was sometimes I need affection without the pressure of sex. Someone else wrote in, I miss the romance from when we were dating. Another one was simply, I miss us. So Shana, how can we actually share these types of feelings with our partners when it feels so hard to say some of these things out loud. So one thing is timing, right? It has to feel like the right time. You don't want to say this right in the middle of like feeling upset about something or when you're dealing with the kid's bedtime or when you're rushed or when you're already upset about something. And then you say, you know, I really miss us. You don't, you don't treat me the same way you used to when we were dating. That's not the message you're trying to get across, right? That comes off really harsh and, that's not what you're looking to do here. You're trying to connect. You're trying to share that. I care about you. I know that you care about me, but I'm just not feeling cared about, right? There's another topic I touch on on my Instagram page is love being a choice or, or an action or a feeling. So there's, there's times when we know like we love each other and the the idea of love is present, but we're not feeling the love at the time, right? So it's kind of the idea of I love you, but I don't like what you're doing right now. So there's times when we need to be a little bit more intentional about showing the love, as opposed to just knowing that it's there. And that's something that comes up a lot with couples where some people say, but I love them. Like, why don't they get that I love them? Yeah, but they need to feel it. We all need to feel it at times and we feel it in different ways. So one time that might be a good time to bring that up is during your weekly check-in, if that's a good time for you, or, you know, while the kids are napping on the weekend or even on a date night, that could be depending on the setting. And remember something like 70%, I'm, I'm messing up the statistic here, but, or 90%. I'm messing up the statistic here, but majority of conversations end up the way that they started. So if you start them in a way that comes off as harsh or critical, it's going to end up as a harsh conversation. If you start it in a way that is loving and caring, it's likely going to end in a better way as well, where it's loving and caring. So there is so much power there in how you bring the topic up. And what this, you, you can kind of sometimes, I mean, we've all been there where we know if we bring up a certain topic at one point, it's going to play out totally differently than if we bring it up at another point. So being in tune to what is going on at that moment for you, for your partner, for your relationship, if you're really stressed or not, 
And when you find that right time where you know, like, okay, they seem like they're going to be receptive now, we're both calm, we're in a good mood, also be sensitive about how you bring it up. So you're not blaming them. It's not that you don't treat me the way you used to. It's we're in this really, remember, it's it's you and your partner as a team against the problem. It's not you against them. So, you know, we're in this really hard stage right now. And I know that we don't get as much time to connect because we're really busy between work and the baby or whatever. But I really do want to work on making time for us. And I want you to work on it with me. So can we talk about some ways that we can do this? And, you know, let's come up with something that we can work on together this week so that we can feel that we're there for each other and we can feel more connected. And so for different couples that might look different of either making sure you have your date night, making sure you start having coffee. Um, I know for myself, like with our busy life, one part of my husband and my day that I look forward to and he looks forward to is when he leaves with our second daughter to drop her off at school. After he drops her off, he has a 30 to 40 minute drive to work. And I have time that I'm like, you know, moving things around the house before I start my first session for the day. So we'll chat on the phone during that time. Most days, there are once in a while days where he has like a work call that comes up then, or I have an earlier meeting. And so I can't do it that day, but because it's a habit and we make it happen most days, it's a time that we get to chat. Mm. Yeah, that that's very valuable for our community because one thing that came in over and over again is we're just lacking the time and the energy for each other. We're in this demanding season. We both are giving so much that we don't have anything left for each other. And now a quick break from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As we're talking about in this episode, relationships after baby can take a hit. It's actually very well known that there's some recalibrating that needs to be done for most couples when they bring kids into the world. What I've shared before is that for us, we navigated the first one pretty well, but the second one, it was really challenging. And Drew and I have actually used better help to work on some of our communication strategies because of the demand of parenting. So know that you are not alone if your relationship changed after kids, but also know that there are professionals that are able to help you. So we want to mention that you can go to betterhelp.com backslash herself for 10% off your first month. They set you up with a counselor. You can get in right away. It's just a great service. So again, go to betterhelp.com backslash herself for 10% off the first month. And now back to our show. And I think it's really interesting because during this conversation, a visual that's been coming to my mind is a couple that is doing life side by side. And what I mean is I'm literally picturing the couples in bed and they're each on their own phone because they're decompressing after such a demanding day and we all get it. But sometimes does the choice need to be made for the couple as a unit to spend that time together? So I would love to hear your thoughts on just you named a couple of things in that last answer, but if if it feels like you're really lacking the energy and the time for each other, how can you work on that? Yeah, and the idea that you're bringing up is often referred to as couples who are leading parallel lives. So they're on the same road, but they're not ever crossing each other. So, you know, they're getting up, they're getting the kids ready for school, they're getting the kids out, they're going to work, they're coming home, 
but they're going through the motions. They're not connecting and they're not having that friendship element of relationships. And this is something that happens for a lot of couples with little kids. But the kicker is that the stressors and annoying stuff don't wait around. They show up no matter what, which is part of what makes this stage of life so hard because you need to be more intentional about the good stuff. The good stuff doesn't happen as spontaneously as it did before kids. You know, before kids, a new restaurant open, let's go check it out. Or, you know, we have some free time, let's go walk to Starbucks. Um, you know, when there's a kid and depending on what the weather is outside, do we want to bundle them up right now? Do I'm not interested in taking them out and having to like change their diaper in public or I have to nurse soon? Or, you know, they might throw a tantrum there or I can't get a babysitter. I don't have anybody I trust to babysit. Whatever it is, so you're not, you're not, having those good moments as default as you did before kid came around, but the stressors are going to be there. The diapers are going to have to be changed. The clothes are going to have to be washed. The house is going to have to be organized um, or it's not organized. And for a lot of us, when things get into disarray, it messes with our heads and it's fine if your house is not always completely organized, but it's good to have at least like one space where you feel calm and collected because our surroundings do affect us. So, you know, telling the kids to like keep the toys to one area might be helpful for you. And there's going to be times and seasons where everything will be a mess and that's okay. You just don't want that to be a constant thing in every single area because that will feel overwhelming to you. So in terms of the time, back to what I said, where it's about all the little things and integrating those little moments with each other, especially if it's something that you can make a moment of connection that's already a part of your day. So most people might have heard about the Atomic Habits book by James Clare. And so one way he says to introduce habits into your life and make them stick is by stacking them onto something you already do because it makes it much more likely that you're going to do it and makes it much easier. So let's say you guys do like to watch something instead of watching it alone on your phones in bed, like find a show that you watch together sitting on the couch or even in bed if your TV's in your room, choose a show that you watch together, that that's your show. Because then it's something that you look forward to doing with each other. And like, you might talk about it and be like, oh my God, can you believe that happened or whatever. And so some people might really enjoy something like that. Some people won't. So this is something that you have to know for you. I'm expecting my third very soon. And so I'm excited to be sharing in stories how we still keep, you know, different little moments of connection going, having our two older kids plus a new baby. And that's why I also show my date nights now that people can see like, you know, I got my two kids to bed and we're going rollerblading, which I miss doing since I've been pregnant. But, you know, sometimes it's as simple as that. We get a babysitter and we go, I'm on rollerblades. He's either on rollerblades or a bike. And we just go somewhere. We pick up a drink or whatever, come home. Doesn't have to be a major event out planned. We'll do date night at home very often. We're like, we'll order something in if we both had a long day and we're tired. And the difference between just ordering food in or that being the date night is that we actually sit at the table and eat it together as opposed to just like being on our phones as we're eating and not interacting with each other. So date night doesn't have to be this extravagant thing and having that as a priority to happen like once a week, which when it's not necessarily getting out, if it's just doing something intentionally at home, then that's much easier to fit in. Other ways of connecting are just giving an intentional goodbye before your day starts. Being present and aware when they walk into the house. So 
when before my daughter came along, I would like run to the apartment door every time when my husband came home. And then our daughter came along and like, I'd be busy nursing or I'd be busy changing a diaper or doing something. And so I couldn't necessarily come to the door, but I'd still try to say hello. And then there were times where I got distracted and I'd be on my phone or or I'd be on my computer. And at times now that still happens because of busy life. So I work on trying to be really intentional about like looking up and saying, Hey, how was your day? And either try to put the thing that you're doing aside for a few minutes or tell them like, Hey, I just need to finish this thing. I'm going to talk to you in a few minutes. So if your thing is time sensitive, which sometimes it is, maybe most times it's not be aware because if you send that email out three minutes later, it's not going to make a difference to the person you're sending the email to, but it will make a difference to your partner that you put that aside for three minutes just to say hello to them. Mm, I loved those because they were so tangible. My partner and I do a really friendly good morning every morning, and it just starts us on the right tone. And from our community, oftentimes we hear about, oh, well, we can't get a babysitter. We can't do this. We can't do this. And I really think it's, we, I hope this conversation is inspiring you to think about what you can do. And we're you just gave some really tangible examples. Doesn't always take a babysitter, but is there any prioritization of this relationship? Yeah, 100%. And with all of those, it's doing things that you already are doing. So whether that is a hobby, maybe it's working out in your basement together or decompressing. I like that you even brought that part up. So if you need to decompress at the end of the day and you're both looking at each other, like I have no energy right now. I need to just sit and watch a movie, watching that together. Because as we all know, when you mix communication and a lack of energy, and that doesn't end well. I mean, even personally, I get very passive aggressive if I'm already at a short fuse. And then we have this really tough conversation that we're about to bring up. Um, obviously it feels good to let off a little bit of steam in the moment, but long-term it doesn't help our relationships. So what are some of your top strategies for communicating effectively and efficiently when you do feel like you just have no energy at all? So be, so passive aggressiveness typically comes because we're having a need that isn't met. And so being expressive about our needs in the right way can be really helpful But remember, we all make mistakes. There still will be times that you are passive aggressive. And in those times, it's good to repair. We can always repair. Um, In my Love After Baby membership, there's a document of repair statements that people can go through to see how to reset a conversation. And there are fair fighting rules for like when you need to have a tough conversation what are things to be aware of? Like, how should I express things? What are things to avoid so that we don't make the fight the bomb? Because relationships conflict and conflict can be a way for us closer because it helps us see into what our partner needs or wants. It helps us see what's not going well. It helps us see where they're not feeling understood. Whereas if they just bottle that down and don't bring it up, that doesn't mean you have a great relationship because there's no conflict. That means that people aren't expressing where they're at and what they need. Right. So a lot of people say like, or have this idea when they first start a relationship that in healthy relationships, people don't fight. So in healthy relationships, people don't necessarily have full blown out wars and they don't attack each other as people. 
but we do have conflict in the sense where things come up where we don't see eye to eye or we're feeling frustrated by something or we don't have a need that's being met and we can bring it up in a respectful way. Mm. I love that you said that because I believe you know, my partner and I have improved because we fight fair and we fight fast. And that has changed because we used to get a little bit mean and loop old arguments in and all the things. On that note, what you said is part of that quote, I don't know if I said it earlier, John Gottman, is that they appear like quickly and often. So it's not that we don't have hard conversations. It's not that we don't get into points where we get frustrated with each other and maybe overstep. But we're always aware of what the goal of these conversations is, is that we want to feel heard and we want to feel connected. It's not to distance ourselves from our partner. And when you keep that goal in mind of this is somebody that I want to connect with and I want them to see me, then you are able to see what's going wrong and figure out how to fix it and fix it quicker. I thought one of the most important things you said during the interview is we're looking at it as a team versus the problem instead of you versus me. And I think that's the maturity in the relationship is like we used to be like, which one of us is going to win this fight? And now we need to figure out how we can get through it and both live with the end result. So this has been an incredibly valuable conversation. I want you to let everyone know where they can find more of you. So you can find me over on Instagram at love after baby. And that's where I share like it stories are real life stuff going on conversations of things that come up, um, things that maybe came up in the DMS that have come up a lot. And so I'll address it in stories since I see a lot of people are having the same thought. And that's where I share my little content. There is my blog, loveafterbaby.com where I share a little bit more long form content and tips. And then there's the Love After Baby membership where you get access to any courses or small workshops that I put out. And there's also the live weekly calls where you can get personal tips and advice on different situations going on and connect with other moms in the community. And then I will be presenting the Bringing Baby Home workshop probably sometime in February where I will go through the full comprehensive workshop of Bringing Baby Home. It's a lot of content. And so it's a way for me to share what I've been wanting to be able to share with parents for so long. I wanted to take this training back in 2019 and plan to take it early 2020. Obviously, it got canceled and they just offered it for the first time now. So I'm so excited to be able to offer that formal workshop to parents who want the full lowdown in one experience as opposed to spread out over a a bunch of different things. So you can find me over there, loveafterbaby.com or at loveafterbaby on Instagram. I'd love to have you there. And for our listeners, make sure you check out these resources because they can be the thing that turns the car in the right directions that you're no longer living these parallel lives, but can become good friends again, healthy relationship and are moving this whole thing together. And while you're on Instagram, checking out Shana's resources, make sure to tag us, Herself Podcast and Love After Baby with maybe your weekly check-in or the date night that you're planning. We'd love to see how you guys are implementing these resources and our episodes every week.